0: Good morning. It's good to see you here today. What an amazing sense of the presence of God in our midst this morning. Um, we're going to, I'm going to share and then we're going to worship some more at the end. Um, I really believe God. The I've had noticed over the last while just a sense of more of people going deeper in God. And how many of you sense that too? God is on the move in the place and And thank you so much for coming out. Um, uh, And uh, we've been going through our vision and values. And it's a little book we have. And if you're new to the, the church or looking in at Oceanside, it has our vision and values. It has our statement of faith. Uh, which is our statement of faith is basically our non-negotiables as what we believe as a church. And it's good for you to know, but our values are our treasures. And those are the building blocks that we build the church on. And we've been looking at a few of those values uh, over some time. And the first one we looked at is the, the Bible. I spoke on the Word of God over three weekends, inerrancy of the Word of God and so on, and um, the absoluteness of the Word of God. We looked at things like God, uh, the Bible, and culture, and so those three are on there, and then um, Andy last week uh, spoke on family. How many of you enjoyed Andy's preach last week? It was amazing, and um, so today, I'm going to be speaking on our next um, value, which is the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers, and um, this is a... I have a, a, a little quote there. Or I, this something I wrote up. Uh, and I just want to, to read this off because this is something that uh, Luther held dear to himself. And as I read this, you'll understand this. And it says, There's an important biblical idea that has great impl- implications for our personal spirituality, both in the church and in the world. That is the idea that under the new covenant... Every born-again believer is a priest. The notion was one of the top three ideas of the Reformation. The first being sola scripture, which we've been speaking about, which asserts the, the sole authority of scripture. The second being sola fide, which, is, which asserts um, that we are justified by faith alone. Remember when Luther uh, um, had that revelation of justification by faith? That changed Christendom for the better, for sure. That we no longer had to go through a, a priest, an uh, employed priest, or a priest to get to God, and that we did not have to earn our salvation. And then, but the third notion being the priesthood of all believers that we don't have to go to a priest to pray to God, we're all kings and priests, and that every believer is a priest regardless of their vocation. And Peter, Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 2 verse 4 to 12. It says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God. Now I just want you to Put your name in this. I just want you to imagine this because this is who you are. If you're a born-again believer, this is speaking to you and me and I personally, chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See I laying in a a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That is Jesus Christ. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. A stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. What an incredible privilege, and we'll look at that in more detail. Chosen to declare the praises of Him... Who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light? Once you were not a people. How many of you remember when you were not part of the people of God? I do. I do. Um, in 1984, uh, um, after two years of um, searching and two years of seeing my wife's life by, trans- transformed by the power of God, I eventually gave my heart to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it revolutionized my life. It changed my, the history of my life. And, uh, today I stand you before, before you, not because of my righteousness, not because of what I've done, but what Jesus has done on my behalf. Amen. It's what an amazing, um, privilege we have. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, But now you have received mercy. I urge you as strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. How many of you know that war in your soul? Live such good lives amongst pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, as priests... The most amazing privilege is that is that we have access to the very holy of holies, the very throne room of God, and it's something that we shouldn't take for granted, and we shouldn't something we shouldn't neglect. And we see this in Hebrews ten, nineteen to twenty two, talking about Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, and the writer of Hebrews. I have a feeling it was Paul, but the writer of Hebrews says this. He's been talking about Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, and so on. And he says, therefore, what he's saying is, therefore, because of Jesus, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, By the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a a full assurance of faith that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What an amazing privilege that we can come into the very throne room of God daily, that we can spend time in his presence and fellowship with him, that we can come confess our sin. He is faithful and just, the word of God says in John 1, uh, 1 John 1 verse 9, to, if we confess our sins, to, um, faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To me, that's like having a beautiful shower in the morning. It's a beautiful time to come and sit in the presence of God. I've got a special place that I do that, and I just talk to God. And um, things. Are, I do business with Him and fellowship with Him. And I find that when I don't do that, and I, often, I must say, um, I, I sometimes don't have the time or I'm rushing or something like that, I feel the difference. I feel the difference in my day. The fact that I can come and sit at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords feet is an absolute privilege and pray. And Paul speaking in Philippians 4, 6 says this, that through prayer, petition with thanksgiving, we are able to present our requests to God. Church, being able to come daily in the presence of God with our requests and present them to Him, Is an amazing privilege. To enter the very throne room of God is a tremendous privilege as a priest, a royal priest in the kingdom of heaven, that we should never forget or take for granted. Speaking of prayer, Ian Bounds, amazing man of prayer. They say that next to his bed he prayed so much on his wooden floor that... um, and he lived in that house for many, many years. The, the uh, indentations on the floor of his knees, nearly next to his bed. But this is what he says What the church needs today is not more machinery, is not more stuff, is not more lights. And all of the things that we have, and, and I thank God that we do have those kind of things. But that can never be a substitute for the presence of God. You hear people saying, we need to create an atmosphere for worship. Well, when we worship God, the atmosphere is changed by the Holy Spirit don't you feel that in our midst we come together and you just sense something's changed and you can do that daily coming to the Holy of Holies I love to put on worship music and headphones and Hillsong United and the amazing songs Christo-centered songs and I can just sit there and sense the presence of God and the anointing of God it's absolutely incredible and church I want to encourage us God does nothing without prayer And when we come with our prayers and our petitions and thanksgiving and we present them to God, it's like, to me, it's like I'm writing a note. I'm sitting at my father's feet and I'm writing a note and I stick it on his lap. A lot of them are are fears and anxieties. A lot of them are things that I'm dealing with in my life like everything else. But I see this picture, me putting it on my heavenly father's lap and then I think, of what God said to Abraham, when Abraham said to Isaac, when he offered that, that, that um, sacrifice and there was no sacrifice and they're walking up the hill uh, and by faith and his son says to him, Abraham, what are we going to... Uh, uh, his son says to his dad, where's the sacrifice? I see the sticks, I see the fire. And he says this, don't worry, my son, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And I see myself doing that because another translation of God will provide is simply this, that God will see to it. Isn't that amazing? Write your dad a note, see it and put it on his app and say, and he just picks this, God will see to it. And through the day stuff comes up in that and I just give it back to him. It's an amazing privilege That the enemy robs us of. I tell you, we will never have enough time if we don't make time. And I'm a very early riser; uh, just so happens to be like that. So that works for me. It could be at lunchtime. It could be in the evening. Whenever, whatever works for you. It could be a walk at lunchtime, looking over the ocean and just declaring the glory of God. Going to Westwood Lake is one of my favorite places. To go and just sit there in the presence of God. We live in paradise. Heavens declare the glories of God. And when we lift our eyes off our circumstance, because circumstance is like a, uh, like a penny. It's like this small in the context of God, but when, it co- when we are consumed by it, I can block out the sun with a penny if I put it to my eye. I can block up. The whole world. I like close this eye and do this and think everything's dark. Well I can put that aside and look at God, the, our provider of everything. Many people are going through stuff and I church's world is not going to get easier. If you come next weekend and see what's happening in the world through voice of the martyrs and bring your friends please for that. You'll see there's some radical things happening and I have friends on our apostolic team that I'm a part of working in the Middle East working in Southeast Asia into Pakistan uh, Egypt and those places and I tell you what when I, we don't see them often but every now and then we've had an opportunity to meet some of them and do you know what they don't talk about persecution they talk about the power of God transforming radically lives all over the world. It's absolutely phenomenal. And God wants us to live in that place. You see, we can't give what we don't have. And if we're, if, our, if our tank is empty, we've got nothing to give. And it's so easy. Jesus has made a way. And I pray that one thing today, that you will consider that not because you have to, not because I have to read X amount of um, scriptures and things like that, and we should do that, but because I want to spring pre- uh, in presence, uh, in the presence of God. What the church needs today is not more machinery, new organizations or more methods, inbounds, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer, mighty in prayer, Andrew Murray, an amazing God, amazing man of God, wrote this. He says, time spent in prayer will yield more than that given to work. Prayer alone gives work its worth and its success. Prayer opens a way for God himself to do his work in us and through us. It is in the closet with the door shut that the sound of abundant rain will first be heard. You see, church, I believe that God is raising up a people of faith and power right here in our midst. I can see it. I can sense it. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the prophetic words that God has placed over our church. And I can see them coming to fruition even as, um, as I speak today. You see, Paul praised this over the church in Ephesus about the power of God. You see, the enemy is not afraid of a powerless church. But this is what the Word of God says. The living Word of God says in Ephesians 1, 18 to 23. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is not available to unbelieving believers. And we know that with the, Jesus, the, the story of Jesus and the persistent w- widow. She's coming um, before the king or before her master and she's wanting uh, justice through, before the judge. And he doesn't listen to her. He doesn't listen to her. And she pers- uh, persists. Persists. And at the end of the day, she goes there and he says, okay, I can't handle this anymore. I'll do what you want me to do. The interesting thing that Jesus commends her for her persistency, but the interesting thing in that uh, little story is he finishes that story with this. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Will we have become unbelieving believers? You see, Paul goes on to tell them, this is the power that is for us who believe. He says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him over everything for the church, talking of Jesus Christ, which is his body, the fullness of him who who fulfills, fulfills everything in every way. As I said, The enemy is not afraid of a powerless church. And the Bible cannot explain a powerless church or an inward-focused church or a gathering without going church. The early church was birthed in power. In Jesus' last conversation with his disciples, very last words to them, before he has descended, he said these words, and he ascended into heaven. They were gathered around him and asked him, Lord, at what time are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father set in his own authority, but you will receive power when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Remember the Holy Spirit was in them. They were born again. When they saw the resurrected Christ, when he walked into that room and revealed himself as a resurrected Christ, they believed and were, were filled with the. He says, receive my spirit. That is the indwelling spirit of God, being born again. So a few days later 40 days later he's saying to him now I want you to wait because you have the Holy Spirit in you now I'm going to put the Holy Spirit upon you I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and he says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness power to witness this is what it's for In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sights. Can you imagine? Jesus, of all the things he could have said, of all the things. He had been speaking in John, don't worry, I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, going to lead you and guide you. You won't be alone. The Holy Spirit will be there to glorify me through you. And his last words. As they're standing there, all of a sudden, he's, he's, resu- he's um, resurrected. He um, ascends into heaven, sorry. And um, of all the things he said is wait for the power. He knew that the church, birth and power, would change the world. And we see that in the book of Acts. You see in Acts chapter 2, The believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit, tongues of fires, and the church was birthed in power, and 3,000 were saved. Acts 3 and 4, the apostles begin to exercise that power. A crippled beggar is healed, and the city is impact, and many are added to the church. Acts 6 and 7, deacons are appointed to help facilitate the growth of the church, they begin to move in power. You know, Stephen was um, martyred for his faith during this time. And Philip goes to Samaria. And a major revival breaks out. And Acts 6.8 describes Stephen as a man full of God's grace and power. who performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. He wasn't one of the apostles. He was a, a deacon. But more than that, he was a priesthood of all believers. He was a royal priest, endued with power. And he did signs, wonders, and miracles. In Acts 13, we see Paul and Barnabas commissioned and empowered by the Holy Spirit to establish and plant churches. If we read carefully, we will see that miracles performed by the apostles throughout the book of Acts were not hit and miss. They were intentional. And that intention is that it would result in the salvation of many. You read the book of Acts, people are healed, people rush to find out what's going on, and they preach the gospel. That's how the church was birthed. People will say, there's no power, that was for the early church. I'm still waiting to find out where that scripture says that. And I also ask him, why at the end of the age, when the church is going to be in its most glorious state, when revival is going to break out, would God remove the power? Why would he do that? And the answer is, he doesn't. He never says that. The, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, dwelled in the apostles of old and dwells in us, The same baptism of the Holy Spirit is available to us today. And the power is for purpose. Yes, he's our comforter and yes, he ministers to us, but he wants to minister through us. Wouldn't it be wonderful, like Peter and John or two of us, uh, Peter and John from this church walking down the street in Nanaimo, and really believe in God and a a person, an an addict or something is sitting there and they're wanting food and that and say, listen, we don't actually have that but in the name of Jesus, be totally set free from that addiction. Arise and be healed. Do you think people in the city will be talking about it? Of course they will. And Church that I believe, is the journey that God's taken himself, to be a people of faith. And I've read many of the books of the great faith healers like John G. Lake, who was born in Toronto, and uh, Smith Wigglesworth, who raised over 20 people from the dead. And they themselves will tell you that not everyone they prayed for was healed, but they never stopped believing and Smith Wigglesworth would say that, what is the secret, Smith, when you're standing through multitudes of sick people? And they said, when I look at the people, I have no power. But when I look up and I look at Jesus Christ, I have all the power and authority in the world. Because it's not in my name, it's in his name that people are healed. And we've got to start looking up. We've got to start spending time in the presence of God. So out of the uh, uh, innermost being, the rivers will begin to flow rivers of living water. Jesus said that, um, uh, and he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples because you love one another. And where does that love come from? Love comes from God. It's impossible to love the unloved outside of God. And when we understand that it's all about him and we are just a conduit of his love, his mercy, his grace, and his power, and we touch the hand of God and we hold somebody else, the power of God runs through us. And do you know the wonderful thing about that? When the priesthood of believers raises up, when a few hundred people do this, nobody can get the glory. Because who prayed for that person? Whose faith was it? If we're walking together, we could only say Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. In Acts, we also see that the gathering of the church was never meant to be a weekly event but a catalyst for mission we gather to worship God and they gather to worship God to be strengthened, encouraged trained, empowered and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Jesus Christ and thereby fulfill the great commission just going to move on a little bit here Go into this prophecy for time Because I want to leave some time for us to worship I want to leave some time for the Holy Spirit to begin to move In our midst I know many people as a pastor here are hurting and going through stuff And you might have come as Mark said And, and maybe um, dealing with guilt and condemnation It could be a healing But I'm, speaking, I'm believing that God can move and touch you Right here where you are today In and through the power of the Spirit But before we do that, I just want to go through a prophetic word that we got um, a a year ago from a friend of mine who is an amazing prophet who lives in uh, Melbourne, Australia, Dave Hago. He came here and this is what he said and I've just um, paraphrased it. And this is what he said. He reminded us that we have been called and he's speaking to Oceanside. I believe this could be for any church Called to pastor our city and not just our church. Called to speak words of life over our city. Words like this, that Nanaimo is to be called a city of love, of hope and joy. A prosperous city. That God is raising Oceanside up to be a servant army with a deep passion and love for our city A people who will positively influence their sphere of influence through love and good deeds and words of life. A creative revival inspired by a creative God using new and creative ways to advance the kingdom. A people who see that what they do in the marketplace and how they represent God is an act of worship. God is wanting... To influence and impact the marketplace through our business community, we have the businessman's breakfast, and if you're part of that community and want to get involved, um, please let us know or you can go to the buzz next week or whenever it is. You see, Dave said this, and I love this that God. Is waiting for our business com- uh, community to be, is wanting our business community to be pace setters, to break molds, to bring light in dark places. We are to be a servant army with a deep passion and love for our city. And do you know the amazing thing about that? Since then, and we heard about it today, we are already doing that. We have people doing that. We have acts on the street. We, we work with. Um, the food bank, we have people reaching out, starting to reach out into old age homes and all over the place. We're beginning to see this happen in our midst. And church, we can make a difference. I've heard a man preach one with Tara and a friend of mine, Daniel, preach this in another church and I'm so pleased it wasn't here for this reason. He stood up and said this, if this city closed tomorrow, would the city care? If this church closed tomorrow, would the city care? There was a sobering thought. And then he spurred them on to love and good deeds. And I believe we're getting to a stage where yes, the city would care. Yes, people would care. And imagine if each one of us just this week did one random act of kindness. What a difference it could make in the city. You see, God's intention has always being to raise up a priesthood, a royal priesthood chosen by God the Father, saved and commissioned by God the Son, and empowered by God the Holy Spirit. God is is is. We are in a divine partnership with God. And we see this in action in First Corinthians um, three, verse six to nine. See this divine partnership. Paul says, I planted the seed. That could have been a seed of love. That could have been a good deed. That could have been a word. Then it says, Apollos came and watered it. That could have been a hug. That could have been a coat. That could have been a word. And that seed was watered. watered. But it was God that made it grow. See, our responsibility is not to make the seed grow. Our responsibility is to sow seed. Seeds of love, care, forgiveness. And our responsibility is to prepare the soil. We know the story of the soil. A hard heart needs to be softened through love, forgiveness, and acceptance before it can receive the seed. And that's what we do. But it's God that makes it grow. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything but God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, God's field and God's building. See, God is raising up a priesthood whose identity is not found in who they are, but in what they do. You see, the thing of a hierarchy in the church, in this church, I, don't, I am a pastor, I'm in a part of the eldership team, but that's not my identity, that's my function. You Get your head around that. Because people have this view through the traditions of man that when I'm saved, I'm just a lowly saint. All I am is a co-heir with Christ. You kidding me? But if I saint well and jump through some hoops, maybe I'll be a deacon. And if I deek really well, maybe I'll be an elder or a pastor. I want to tell you that is all downhill from being an heir of God, seated in Christ, which all of us are, because downhill is called servanthood. We use the gifts, we use the anointings to serve the body of Christ. One of my roles is to spur you on, to train and equip, but I'm no more saint, no more co with Christ, have no more power or authority vested in me or available to me than one, someone who today gives their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that because when we get identity in what we do, it starts all kinds of things. Well, how come I'm not this? Or I, why was I left out of that? Or, or, as a, uh, or we get identity in our work and all of those kind of things. And all of those are valuable and important, but identity is in Jesus Christ, a child of God. So God is raising a priest where his identity is found in, in who they are and not in what they do. Romans uh, 8, 16 to 17 talks about this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Amazing. We're children of God. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God And co-heirs with Christ. There's no higher standing or calling in the entire universe than being an heir of God and a co-heir of Christ. If we get this church, not from a place of pride because it's been bestowed on us by God, but in humility understand who we are and the power and authority God vested in and through us, we will change the world. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, as as of God, we are equal in standing before God, but different in function. And every function is as important as the, the other. And if we get this, striving will cease. And Paul clearly lays this out in Romans chapter 12. Verse 4 to 8. Exactly what I'm talking about. Read the whole chapter, the context. But he says in verse 4, Just as each one of us has one body with many members, so these members all do not have the same... You can read, that's awesome. (laughs) We do not have the same function it's got nothing to do with who we are in Christ it's what we do for Christ and then Paul lays it out here so in Christ we are many are one body and each member belongs to the other go and read 1 Corinthians 12 talking about the body that we're in need of each other That if one part is missing of our physical body, it can wreak havoc. I tell you, I never think of my big toe. Never. But if I stubbed my toe or cut it off, I'd be thinking of it all the time. Every part of the body is important. And the most important part of the body in this place is the one missing. And sometimes we need to go and find them and encourage them. But we all have different functions. And then it goes into Heather. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Different is good. And we're going to see some of these gifts. And there's many more of them. But if it is prophesying, let him do it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach, different gifts. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it is showing mercy, let let him do it cheerfully. What an amazing mix here. Some people might need a prophetic word. And we can talk about that later, how to deliver a prophetic word and how you receive a prophetic word. But he goes from prophesying to serving and from serving to teaching. There's no hierarchy. And he puts leadership second last. Now, if I had written that, I would have put leadership at the top. We need good leadership, and all of this will go down. Now, leadership is absolutely important. God uses leaders, appoints leaders, and works through leaders. It is absolutely critical for the body of Christ, and good leaders can empower a church, and bad leaders can do the opposite. It's just the authority that they carry. But it's no more important than somebody that serves. How many of you know if these chairs weren't put up today, you would be pretty tired by now? Servants came early, set them up. If they didn't do that, they'd be the most important people. In fact, this place more than likely would be empty. Many people sitting right next to you, around you, the Holy Spirit might put in let me just encourage that person. Many people just need a word of encouragement. They're not even listening to what I'm saying. It doesn't mean anything. They're in a place where they need somebody to put arms around them, to love them and encourage them. And encouragement is not not a one-off hug. If God lays somebody in house, it's a house, and, and, and it's got to be a two-way street, so don't be weird. God's told me, encourage you. And the guy say, oh, jeez, you know, Naturally, natural, and supernaturally, natural. We're naturally natural, but we can also be supernaturally natural. So we work as we are. We don't change and start going, oh, thus saith the Lord, and all of this kind of stuff. Out of there. No, Jesus was naturally natural, and supernaturally natural. As so we go and say, man, are you okay? Can we have a coffee? I tell you, people have, I've asked people even last week, I had a few group, why Oceanside? One of the families said, we were walking out the door and a young lady in this church ran after them because they're teenagers and invited their kids to youth. I thought it was my preaching. I asked 10 of them, or I don't know how many of them were in the room. Not one was the preaching. And I'm so stoked about that. It's important preaching. But you know what people remember is those little things. And I tell you, if you need encouragement, you reap what you sow. Start encouraging others. If you are lonely, you reap what you sow. Reach out to others. And you see what will slowly but surely happen. But each one of us, your gift, the gift of encouragement. I met a young man years ago, and he's passed away now. But he, he, he got uh, restored to God in our church. A young man went through some many trials. I met with him one day. He came. We were in an uh, uh, in another area and on, in a strip mall, and he walked in saw the church thing and he just blasted me how bad the church is doing what it's done to him and he's been judged and this and that and that. He just went off. I'm just sitting there and, and he said, "I'm oh, sorry about that. I just had to get that off my chest. So I said, okay, that's cool. I engaged him a little bit more. And I said, listen, hopefully we're not like that and I really apologize it because it does happen. Well, why don't you come on Sunday and just see for yourself so walked out the door. The Sunday I see he's in the congregation with a wife. With his wife. He told me um, um, if he comes he'll bring with his wife. I finished preaching. I was minu- uh, speaking to people in front and I actually didn't even remember that, you know, to go and say hi. I was stuck here. I go at the end. He's not there. And I think, oh, no. Um, I missed an opportunity we have a lady a Nigerian lady in our church she was in the foyer she saw them work out she ran to them and said I don't know this might be a little bit weird to you but not so weird in Africa would you like to come to lunch he had told his wife in the car that if somebody does not reach out to them he will never go back to church Do you know when I learned that story, when I dedicated his child and he gave his testimony three years later why I'm in this church? Because somebody took me to lunch and loved me and yet forgotten what that was like. So I want to finish with this. God uses... The smallest and the most foolish things to confound the wise. A cup of water in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. So Matthew 25 is a, a 24, 25, I think it's 24 actually. Is a scary, scary chapter for me. He speaks about the, 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 the 10 versions. He, he, he speaks about the sheep and the goats. And he says, when the Son of Man comes, I will separate the sheep and the goats. And you can read the story for yourself. But the sheep, you'll say, come, come to me. And then he says, for when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in jail, he says in prison, you visited me. When I was in hospital, you did this and this. And they said, God, when did we even do this? Because they were doing it to people. He said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Jesus loved them. And do you know what would have happened to those people? The Holy Spirit, the service came in, the encouragers encouraged them, softened the heart, somebody else may have planted that seed, and boom, God made it grow because of a cup of water in his name. And I know some here may be struggling with, with, with uh, oppression of some kind. And I want to encourage you with that, that, that God loves you and cares for you. But more than that, I want to say this. Start reaching out. Even if it's just to one person in need. There's something in us that has created us that we don't know to serve in the kingdom we may be afraid of it but I tell you there's nothing more fulfilling than helping someone else in need and seeing their life changed by the power of God so I want to pray for us and leave it at that now I ask the worship team to please come forward and I want to thank you I want to thank you for what you are doing and I know all of us, including myself, can get busy and we don't all are able to do things that others do. And some people are more outward focused than inward focused uh, in, in personalities. But God created like us like that to reach out to different people. And I know the people that are similar to me, believe it or not, I'm more of an introvert Than an extrovert. I love my own space, my solitude. Preaching and teaching when I started doing this, and even to this day, every Sunday, it's a stress for me. It's not that I don't enjoy doing what I'm doing, but I'm naturally an inward focused person. But when I start reaching out, And when I start doing what God's called me to do, like this, and many other things, there's something happens in your heart that nothing else can fill in the fear and trembling. They said, when I came to you, I did not come with wise and persuasive words. I came with fear and trembling. And I came with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on man's wisdom and God's power. And I'm going to pray for us now. And if we can please stand. And I'm going to pray for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you. I'm going to pray now that you will receive and feel the tangible presence of God. I'm going to pray that light will shine in dark places. I'm going to pray that God, the the love of God will envelop us. As we sing this amazing song, Grace to Grace, the grace of God, that God loves you, He cares for you, He has a call for your life, and He wants to set you free, and He can do it right now in, this, in a few minutes. God doesn't need eternity, it's an instant second, and I'm asking you just to prepare your hearts and lift up your eyes and focus on Jesus Christ as we sing this amazing song that exalts jesus christ he loves you he cares for you and he simply wants us to share that love with others amen